so many things to set up. Um, so this morning, uh, Eric put together a couple of passages for the Advent season. And kind of the running theme is what are, what are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? That is not... Give me one sec. Um, and so Eric is out of town this week uh, with family, and so he sent me this passage, and when I read it, I wasn't exactly sure how it fit into the Christmas story, if we're being perfectly honest. Uh, if you read ahead, or maybe you checked the website, uh, you saw that the passage this morning comes out of the book of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and they're exciting, really uh, important story in the line of scripture, but when I heard I'd be preaching during Advent, I thought it would be about little baby Jesus, uh, and this passage is about grown-up Jesus, and it's an exciting one, and I think it does really play into the Advent season, and I think we'll see that this morning as we dive into God's word. Um, so let me, let me pray for us before we get into it. Dear Heavenly and Most Holy Father, I pray you be in my head and in my thinking in my heart, in my understanding, in my mouth, in my speaking, that I would fade away and that your word, as we know it does, stands on its own. That your gospel truth would move in our hearts, in our minds, into our hands, into our feet as we step out to our community and love our neighbor well. Lord, please be with us this morning. In your precious and most holy name, amen. So like I said, this morning's passage is an exciting one. It's mainly focused around a really cool figure in the Bible, the last Old Testament prophet, and his name is John the Baptist. I had a professor in college who actually would remind us that, that Baptist, as the denomination didn't exist, so he technically was a baptizer. So he liked to say John the Baptizer, but I thought it was a little bit of semantics at that point. Um, and so this morning, uh, I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, uh, all 12 verses Stick with me. It's an exciting, it's a really cool story. Maybe close your eyes. Uh, the picture actually behind me is of the Jordan River, where the story is taking place. So this could have been a, a similar looking spot to where they are at this moment. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said... The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
his winnowing fork in his hand, he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. So I want to reiterate and maybe belabor, my students will tell you that uh, as this past kind of series of lessons we've been going through the book of Galatians with the fruits of the Spirit, every week I've been repeating them. So much so I think uh, they can hopefully all recite them from memory. And so I want to ask the question that we've been asking, what are you hoping for? What are you waiting for? In this Christmas season, it can be a, a large swath of things. It could be gifts. Maybe you're really hoping for that uh, new iPhone or new tires or fun socks, if you're me. Um, or maybe you're just hoping for a few moments of peace. Maybe you're hoping for a little bit, um, a little extra grace this Christmas season. It can be busy and can crazy. Maybe you're hoping for you get to see family and friends. There's a lot to be hoping for and to get excited for. But if we kind of zoom out, what are you hoping for when you come on a Sunday morning? We talked about this with my students on Wednesday, that church is not just what we do this morning for an hour and a half. It's the community that we come alongside. It's the people that you're surrounded with. As we walk through life together, as we sit and we uh, listen to God's word, as we sit in Sunday school, as we sing amazing, beautiful songs, all of this embodies the life of the church. So what are you hoping for when you come here on a Sunday morning? What are you hoping for as you pursue your career or maybe just your personal relationship with Jesus? What are you looking to get out of it? What are you hoping Jesus brings to you? And I ask this question because John the Baptist is hoping for something. This passage is all about hoping and waiting for something. The people of Israel had been waiting for a Savior. For 400 years, God had been silent. From the last book of the Old Testament to Matthew, it had been hundreds of years. And the people of Israel probably felt alone, separate, confused. Their Savior was supposed to come and save them from uh, the Romans, or save them from this, or save them from that. He was supposed to bring peace. He was this warrior king that they were hoping would ride down on a white horse and take the world by storm, the savior of the world. And it would all be predicated, it would all start with a prophet coming out of the wilderness. A prophet like Elijah. And so we see that prophet here, John the Baptist. Comes out wearing camel hair and a leather belt, eating locusts, probably got bugs in his teeth, and lots of honey, um, which sounds like an odd but potentially satisfying meal. <laughs> um, And he looks like the guy who's supposed to be calling out. And so John is this prophet. He is the one who's preparing the way from the Lord, shouting from the rooftops that Christ is here. His cousin, actually, Jesus, is here. And he's excited. What John's excited for is Jesus will bring upon this judgment upon the people of the world. Upon the people of not just kind of outside of uh, the traditional um, Jewish faith group, but also those within, those who say they follow God but don't actually, that do it with their hands but not with their hearts. What John doesn't realize is that Jesus is coming to bring that judgment, but upon himself. Sit with that for a moment. 
I had to sit with it for, for the moment because I kind of scooted past it as I was sermon prepping. But as we look forward to this Christmas and to this baby, this baby that's coming, it's bringing judgment, and that can be a scary thing. A lot of these verses in this passage talk about fire and broods of vipers and chopping down trees and chaff. It can be worrisome. But the hope of the gospel, the exciting thing is that Jesus took that judgment upon himself. That if we believe in the gospel, we don't have judgment to fear, but rather we get to take part in all the blessing that God uh, gave Jesus because of the perfect life he led, because of what he did on the cross. And I'm getting ahead of myself. So what are you hoping for? The three verses of your back of the bulletin, they're also written there. Uh, a sign, a command, and a harvest are kind of the three little monikers, points as we go through this passage. And so a sign. And like I always said, already said, John is that sign at first. He's the prophet coming out of the wilderness. He even quotes the Old Testament, Isaiah 40. It's a really cool passage in Isaiah 40. Um, and there's a lot of resources throughout uh, the internet. And we have books in the library and all other places that Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament um, what they say the Savior is going to be. He fulfills all of that. All of the prophecies, Jesus fulfills them. Even something like Isaiah 40, where it talks about a man coming out of the wilderness to talk about another guy who's going to be coming to save them from their sins. Thousands of years ago that was written. And yet it was coming to fruition on that day as John walked up out of the woods or out of the grass and with his camel hair outfit and leather belt. If someone did that today, I don't think we would think they were a prophet. That oftentimes we see someone on the outside and we don't always understand what's going on the inside. But John the Baptist is is coming out and he's preaching God's word and people are being changed. People are getting excited. Baptism wasn't something that was super new. Baptism was something that had been around. That that people would come and uh, be baptized in, in order to kind of have their sins washed away. But oftentimes prophets and other leaders would do this if you couldn't make it to the temple or other things. So that's what John is doing here. But he's talking about something greater that's coming. A greater baptism. A greater fire that'll come, as he said, um, to wash away our sins. A sign. And amidst that call, as he calls them up out of... uh, repentance to to come and uh, be forgiven of their sins he's also asking them to go back to what they were supposed to do that when they say repent in the greek it also means return to faithfulness it's not just a call of um you know repent say oh i've messed up and then go and do whatever you want again but rather it's a return it's a changing of the heart when we confess our uh, sins together earlier in the service and every week it's a heart change it's something that we should do in, with hopes that we don't do those things again. We know we'll mess up. We know we'll trip up, right? That's our fallen nature. But, but with the hope and the working towards and trying to be better than we are and pursuing who God is calling us to be. And John is calling that to his people, to the people that Christ is coming to save. He's calling us to make our paths straight. That he's trying to help us 
see Jesus, the Savior, is about to come. In that next verse, it starts to talk about Jesus coming. And you can read the book of Matthew. I highly recommend this Christmas season reading through one of the Gospels. Uh, the book of Luke, I think, is actually 24 chapters. And so it's a good, I think it's Luke. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book to read. You can read a chapter a day. And so as John's calling out uh, for us to run to Jesus for this repentance, I feel like oftentimes we see ourselves as running to Jesus as Christians. That once we have the right mode of transportation, once we get on the straight and narrow path, once our paper stops falling off, uh, and we get going, once everything's lined up, and we're kind of, if you've ever gone bowling, once, once the ball is laid up, the, line, the lane is right, if we throw the ball correctly, it'll hit the pins. We're going to hit their pins. But the gospel's different than that. Because the, 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 the destination isn't way into the distance that we're trying to get to with our car. But rather, the destination, Jesus Christ himself came to us. He sprinted to us. He went after that one sheep, us. Jesus came to earth. That's what we're celebrating with Christmas, right? That God became man, humbled himself. He lived the life we couldn't live. He's going to die the death we deserve to die. But then give us the gift that he deserves. It's an exciting thing. And oftentimes our faith can feel like, I don't know if I'm allowed to go to church because I messed up this week. Or I don't know if I can invite this person to church because they don't look exactly like everybody our congregation is. But Jesus isn't waiting for us to get right so that he can meet us. But rather, Jesus meets us where we are. And the gospel changes us. It shifts our life entirely. And not just the outside. And that's kind of where we hit next, the command part that John's talking about here. That when you're changed by God's power, it's not just in your words and deeds. He highlights the Pharisees and Sadducees here, um, not because of their necessary title or because of the position they held in the Jewish culture, but because they were men who were living and telling people to do a certain thing, adding all these traditions, all these X, Y, Zs, but in their hearts and the way they lived behind closed doors weren't how they were supposed to be living. How do I know that? Well, I don't know any of these men, but, but John lays it pretty clear out when he talks about a tree. That, that if a tree doesn't bear fruit, then it's not of God. That, that it falls down and thrown into the fire. That that's all it's good for. With the students on Sunday mornings and, and Wednesday nights, we've been going through the fruits of the Spirit. That oftentimes we can wonder what it means to be a Christian. What outward things show up? Does it mean I dress nicer if I'm a Christian? Does it mean I get more money if I'm a Christian? Does it mean people are cooler to me if I'm a Christian? Well, it's none of those things. I mean, some of those things may crop up on kind of side things, but, but what happens when you're a Christian are the fruits of the Spirit, are things that, that come up out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those things are fruits that as we live, as Christians are called to live, these fruits are things that should come up out of us. And that's what John is really highlighting here in verse 7 and verse 8. That, that these men thought they could just come and dip in some water and 
all their sins, everything they would have, would be washed away because of some outwardly physical thing they do. And they weren't willing to change their insides. They weren't willing for that heart change. And that's why we need a Savior. John realizes the futility and the unable to fully do what needs to be done for the people of Israel. That's why they're waiting for a Savior. That when he calls them to repent, when he commands them to pursue the fruits of the Spirit and to pursue them to live as God is calling them to do, he does so because he loves them and he does so that they may pursue this faith. They may pursue what Christ is going to do. Now, we all mess up. None of us are perfect. And this command can be scary in John the ba- what John the Baptist says in verses 7 through 10. Be like, I'm not bearing fruit all the time. I was angry at my wife the other day. or um, I yelled at that guy as he cut me off while I was driving through Seattle. Uh, whatever specific uh, little thing, you're like, that wasn't fruit bearing. And we can live in this tension of fear and angst. And we feel like if, if we trip up too many times, that, that means God's uh, knocked us out of the goal. He, he says, nope, Reuben, you're done. You've messed up too many times. But the exciting thing is, and what, what we're about to get to, what we're looking forward to, what we're hoping for, what Jesus means in this Christmas season, is that no matter how many times we trip up and fall up, Jesus is still running towards us. That even if our car veers down the wrong path, Jesus still will meet us where we're at. His love and his grace is sufficient to us failings. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse, like Paul talks about, to continue saying, to continue diverting and avoiding God. But Christ running to us should be something that's exciting. It, it should be something that gets, gets us going, gets us um, excited for this Christmas season. That as we get excited about presents and seeing family and listening to really good Christmas music without people looking at you funny, uh, Christmas is an exciting time. But Jesus coming as a baby is a, is a wonderful reminder of who God is and how much he loves us. Because he came, he humbled himself. God became man. And we know how the story finishes. When we get to Easter, we'll talk about that even more so in depth. And hopefully you hear that every week, that Christ didn't just come to live a perfect life, but he came to take that judgment that John's talking about on top of himself, for me and for you. And so that when when we mess up, we don't have to live in fear of that judgment, but rather be um, comforted by the grace that God gives us. And so John the Baptist here is pointing out that these men um, aren't saved because of their birthright, aren't saved because of their title or position. That rather people are saved by who they call God, who they call Savior. And John is pointing to that man who's about to come out in verse 13 when Jesus arrives. But uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. And so John, after he commands them to not just do the outward things like being baptized and going to the temple, but having an inward change, bearing fruit, pursuing what is good, loving their neighbor, commanding them to live as God is calling them, he then uh, points to a harvest. That he talks about Christ as one who's not going to just baptize with water, but also with fire. And that can be a, 
a scary thing. Um, I, for one, am not a big fan of the heat. That's why I moved from Mississippi to Washington. Um, I like the cooler weathers. Um, but this fire isn't one that brings burning or... Um, it's a cleansing fire. It's a refining fire. Think of more of a fire that uh, a welder or um, a blacksmith would use or one who's refining um, diamonds or jewels. That although at times when we're trying to pursue who God's calling us to be, it can be painful, it can be disruptive on who we think we're supposed to be, that it's a good thing that God does all of these things in order to show us how much he loves us. And when John's talking about this baptism, when he's talking about who this Savior that's coming is, this person that he says, you have to repent because the time is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. You should repent. Christ is coming, running towards you. And he wants your heart and your mind to be aligned with his. That's why we repent. That's why we sing songs. That's why we listen to his gospel. That's why we do the difficult thing of checking um, our hearts and our minds when we're doing things. When we're pursuing the gospel and pursuing God's scripture, it doesn't always mean doing things we've done before, but shifting and changing towards who God and scripture is calling us to be. The Bible is a great litmus test if you're wondering what it means to be a Christian. Galatians is a fantastic book to go to. James is a fantastic book to go to. I could go for about 66 more books about which books are great to go to. Because the whole of Scripture screams God saying, you are mine and I love you and I want you to be a part of my family. And we as a church, once we leave this building, we don't stop being Christians. We don't stop living the way God's calling us to. That once those people got up out of the water when John was done baptizing them, they didn't get to just, they weren't just dry and could do whatever they wanted. But rather it was a change. They were called to go out into their communities and their world and to invite them into this gospel-centered, life-changing, all-encompassing, merciful community of believers. And so John, um, when he's talking about a harvest, brings up uh, a couple different um, symbols, a couple different metaphors. And the first one is a winnowing fork in his hand. And he clears the threshing floor. And it talks about gathering his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn in unquenchable fire. There's a lot of passages that we talk about kind of separating the wheat from the tares. And if you've been in church long enough, you've heard about that. Wheat and tares, when, um, when they're little baby seeds, when they're even mid-growing, they're indistinguishable from each other. That the only one who can truly figure out who they are is when they're at full maturity is the farmer. Is that God is the one who, who separates the wheat from the chaff. So don't be worried. It's not somebody um, on a news station you don't like or in a church you're not a fan of or anybody standing up on this stage that decides whether or not you're a Christian. That the one who decides whether there's judgment or there's blessing is Christ, our Savior. God does that. It's an exciting thing, but it also should be a sobering thing for us as we go out to our communities, as we go out to our world. That oftentimes what we're hoping for it isn't always what we exactly get. That the harvest doesn't always look exactly like what we um, are hoping for. 
Because it's God's harvest. It's Christ's harvest that's coming in. It's loving on and bringing people up and out of their sin in order to pursue something greater than themselves. And it's an exciting thing to be part of. John the Baptist got to be a part of it. He never got to see it to fruition, though. If you want to see the end of John the Baptist's life, uh, I believe it's Matthew 11 and 12. And John the Baptist, even up until the end of his life, uh, was still hoping that Jesus would bring that judgment upon the people that he was suffering from. Upon those who were, who were persecuting him. In the end of Matthew 11, he's in prison. And his disciples of John the Baptist run out to Jesus. They're like, hey man, when are you going to take judgment upon the people? Because John the Baptist is suffering. You need to... This isn't the right path. This isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't what we are hoping for. And Jesus reminds John the Baptist's disciples and reminds us that God's ways are not our ways and that the scripture has foretold since the beginning of time what Christ was there to do. They didn't come as a warrior to cut down the enemies of the Jewish people, but rather came as a servant, as a carpenter, to ride on a donkey and to be crucified, to die the death we deserve. Not because he was super sinful, or because uh, he messed up, but because we are super sinful and because we mess up. That this harvest is going to be a glorious and exciting thing. It should be something that pumps us up and something that makes us want to invite more people into uh, God's family, into New Hope. That as a church, we want to tear down as many walls and build as many bridges to get as many people into here so they can hear the gospel. The previous head pastor would always put it like this, I'm just here to open the door and introduce you to Jesus. Here's Jesus. He's going to change you. He's going to rock your world. He's going to affect every single aspect of your life. He's going to change it for the better because he loves you. As uh, I'll, I'll finish on a story. As I was sermon prepping this week, I finished sermon prepping and I told my wife, I'm so pumped, uh, it sounds great, uh, God's really working, but I don't have a really cool Christmas illustration. <laughs> when we were in seminary, one of the things they taught us, uh, they're like, don't pull for illustrations. They'll come if you need them. If you don't, just trust that God has got it. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to trust that God has got it. And I finished sermon prepping on Thursday and it was good to go. Um, and then last night, late last night, me and the wife were done doing a bunch of laundry and cleaning our apartment and all this stuff. And we decided to watch the Muppet Christmas special from back in the late 80s. Um, it's not um, super high produced. It was made for TV, and the premise is that Fozzie Bear and all of his friends, actually I have a nice picture, Fozzie Bear and all of his friends are going to Christmas at Fozzie's mom's house. She doesn't know they're coming though. And But he's like, ah, oh, she's just sitting waiting for us. She's just, you know, got Christmas decorations up, just wishing that more people would show up. And then it pans to Fozzie's mom, who looks just like Fozzie, but in a, in a wig. <laughs> and uh, she is ready to go to California. She's so excited to go to Malibu and to go lay in some sun. She even has a renter coming, a gentleman named Doc. Uh, if you ever watched uh, Fraggle Rock, he was uh, in that group. But he's coming for a nice, quiet Christmas out in the country. And within seconds, Fozzie shows up. There's this classic waka waka, and he enters through the door along with about a hundred Muppets of every shape and size. 
And just when they think they've got it all figured out, they open the door and Sesame Street, all the Sesame Street characters are singing carols and they're staying for the night too. And it's just this bustling, crazy house as you kind of see a small picture of it here. Um, And so Fozzie's mom wasn't, she was expecting kind of this nice, relaxing Christmas in the sun. But instead what she got was something that by the end she realizes she needed, that she's excited about, something she gets to participate in, is this community, this family who comes alongside of her. Who are everything from a weird blue alien to a grizzly bear and a big old yellow big bird, um, every shape and size, and they're all there to celebrate Christmas. And as we pursue this Advent season... As we look towards what uh, John the Baptist talked about in Christ's coming to baptize us, to bring about judgment upon himself, this free gift of the gospel, this free gift that was wrapped in swaddling clothes in a barn in the middle of Israel out in the Middle East, that Savior, that gift was for me or for you. And when we get to heaven, when we get to that next phase, it's going to look a lot like it did about 25 minutes or so ago when we were walking around shaking hands, listening to really good music, and laughing together. It's a community, it's a party, it's coming together. So I really want to kind of jar you on, kind of spur you on to say, I hope this Christmas season you get to bring and get excited about that. That what you're hoping for is that more people get to come in and hear the good news of the gospel. That Christ will affect our every bone, brain, and blood cell and change us to be who he's calling us to be. He changed John the Baptist's life. He changed, Jesus, he changed the world's life. And he changed my life. And I know if you believe in him, he's changing your life. I want to invite you in that. I hope what you're hoping for this holiday season is to see Christ working through you and in your community and in your world. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly and Most Holy Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for this Advent Christmas season that oftentimes it can feel busy and crazy, but we know that you are working. That just as John the Baptist calls us to repent, calls us to remind us that the kingdom is at hand, that Jesus is coming, Lord, I pray that we do the same for our community and our world. And that we are also reminded that what Jesus came to do was to be a servant, to love his neighbor, to die the sinner's death, to bring salvation to those who need it. And we all need it. So Lord, we pray that this morning uh, and every day thereafter. In your precious, most holy name, amen.